Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Hey, did you enjoy my friend John McIntosh last week? Yeah. yeah. I rarely, I rarely ask you to go back and watch a message, but this would be one, and of course it's not mine, so I'm not asking you to go watch me again, but uh, if you go to mylefc.com, you can find uh, a link that says watch on demand. It'll take you to our YouTube channel. We now have a YouTube channel where we're archiving all our messages, so uh, I think it would be one you'd want to go back and watch. It was that good. I heard it twice, both services, it spoke to me both times, so I was grateful for it. If you have a Bible open to 1 Samuel 17, when you get there, you're going to go, I know what he's going to talk about. It's the ninth book in the Bible. If you went to Psalms, you've gone too far. If you went to Revelation, um, you're a newbie, and uh, that's okay. I'm glad you are. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair back in front of you. Take that home. If you're going from church to church collecting Bibles, please leave it here. Okay. How many have a dream? Come on. A dream. A goal. How many of you believe there's a goal and a dream you have that has come from God? It's a divine goal and dream for your future. Yeah. Not, not the same amount, but, but close to it. How many of you have had a dream that crashed on you? Like a computer or like a car. I mean, it crashed. Disappointing. Disruptions, doors that you thought were open for you end up slamming in your face. Uh, there are giants that work to dismantle our dreams. There's financial giants, emotional giants, physical giants. There are people giants, people who are out there sabotaging your mission. They're out there sabotaging you behind your back, you know. Uh, dreams of being an entrepreneur, dreams of being an inventor, dreams of business, dreams of a scholarship, dreams of someone paying for you to go to school. A dear friend of mine was a Division I football prospect. I mean, he was amazing. Everybody wanted him. He loved being courted. And then the last high school game, he blows his knee out, and no one wants him. And they said this to him, we like you, but you're damaged goods. How would you like hearing that poured on your dream? Or the person who believed that they would get the position, that they would get the job. Or the person who dreams of retirement only to find out their investments have not done as well as they had hoped for. Or this one, hey, we finally reached our dream of retirement and it's not what we dreamed it would be. What do we do now with ourselves? I mean, there's all these dreams that we have in our lives. And what do you do when you face a personal dream breaker or a personal, let me say it this way, giant? Well, in 1 Samuel 17, we have a story. You know the story. Now, the Philistines had gathered their forces for war. They occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. And there was a champion named Goliath from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp. He was a giant uh, about nine feet tall. Other Bibles say seven feet. I'll go with the nine feet. He had a bronze helmet and a coat of bronze armor that weighed 125 pounds. Think about the size of this man to walk around with 125 pounds of old school. This is not high tech stuff. No Kevlar here, you know. 
No, no, no carbon fiber. This is, this is hand-hammered metal. And he's walking around with 125 pounds of it. And at the end of his spear, he has a 15-pound spearhead. Try holding a pipe or, a, or a, you know, a broom handle with 15 pounds on the end for a long time. Eventually, something's going to happen. Unless you're nine feet tall. And he's got a soldier in front of him that walks with a large shield. So I have two pictures for you. The first one is a picture of the region that we're talking about today. And fourth over, it's hard to see, is Elah Valley. That's that little area in the middle. And it kind of looks like you're flying into Lompoc. Really, it does. The next picture will show you Elah itself. And so what would happen is the Israelites would get on one side and the Philistines on the other. And literally, they would have stare-down contests. They didn't fight. They just stared at each other. I wonder if the rules were like, let's see who blinks first or let's see who looks away first, right? And then every day, twice a day, Goliath comes out into the middle of the valley and he starts taunting the Israelites. Uh, the one side digging into the north, the other side digging into the south. And it was a tradition of ancient times that when they finally decided to fight, you would send your bravest, they would send their bravest, and all of you would watch the battle in between. So this giant standing in the valley floor basically is saying, come on, I'll take anyone on. Who wants to fight me? And all the Israelites, the most advanced army of its time, the most technically sound of its time would all shake in fear in the bushes when Goliath showed up. Hmm. Now, I want to give you the dream behind the story because you can read David and Goliath and you can read about the five smooth stones. And by the way, I'll go ahead of myself and come back. It was a, a sling with two long leather straps and in the middle was a pouch and David, who knew how to use his weaponry, would hurl this thing around. It wasn't a kid's slingshot. He would hurl this thing around and would let one end of it go. And scientists believe that the speed of the little rock that was in the middle of the pouch was 74 miles an hour. And the distance between David and Goliath, it got there in less than a, one Mississippi. One second. Think about that. Woo, woo, woo. Shh. 1,001, one Mississippi, boom, right between the eyes. Now, in, second, in 1 Samuel 16, we have the dream. And here's the dream. God says to Samuel, who is a religious leader of the day, this book is named after him. He says to Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and there you will find the next king of Israel. Now, King Saul is already the king. So God has this stealth mode plan. Let me tell you, sometimes God's plans, he doesn't unfold to you. If God told you everything about your tomorrows, you'd freak out. Why did this door get shut? How come that person promised me something that didn't come to pass? How come that position, it looked like I'd be the per perfect person for it, and I didn't get it? What happened? And God's just looking back. He's chuckling a little bit. I see him chuckling sometimes. Ah, if you only knew. I'm not twiddling my thumbs. 
I'm working when you don't see that I'm working. I have a plan for you that's ordained by me, and God is working. I put in my notes here, stealth mode. (laughs) So you want to go to the house of Jesse, and you're going to find out that Jesse has a son, and you're going to see that son, and you're... Well, when he gets to Jesse's house, he finds out he has, does anybody know? How many sons? Uh, I got eight sons, he says. Got eight of them. And he brings the first one out and says, this is the one you want. And Samuel looks at him and says, well, let me paraphrase. I don't see God's fingerprints on this boy anywhere. Next. And the next one comes out. By the third, I mean, they're, they're sharing with each other. Hey, maybe you got to suck your gut in more. Maybe you got to look more, more muscular. Maybe you got to grunt when you, you come out like a warrior. Maybe, maybe there's something you got to do. I mean, after all, this could be reality TV. Maybe you're going to be the next bachelor. Who knows? They don't know what all is going on. But Jesse brings son after son after son after son, six, seven. And none of these guys are him. And Samuel asks, you got any more? I love, I love Samuel. Samuel could have said, well, gee, I've got seven kids. Lord, Lord, you were wrong in what you told me to do. I knocked on these doors. I knocked on seven of them. Not one of these kids is the king. And finally, he says, is, you got any more? Well, yeah, we got this kid out back. And you remember the story. He's a punk. He's ruddy. He's scrawny. And he's taking care of the sheep. I mean, you don't want him. And Jesse says, bring him out of here. I, I, I'm, so, I, I'm so grateful to Samuel who tells Jesse, bring him out of here. Why? Because Samuel didn't give up on the God-given dream. This is all pre-David and Goliath. And here he is, and he anoints him. He says, you're the guy. And he lays hands on him. And the first thing I want you to see, again, there's a two-part message this week and, and next week, because I would be preaching while you're wanting to have lunch, and that would be wrong of me. Here's the other giants David had to face. The first one's called delay, delay. David was held back. Have you ever been delayed? Come on. I've been delayed. We've been delayed. 2020 was a delay. Come on, disruption. We won't talk much more about it. You feel like you're on the back burner, setbacks, drawbacks, disappointments. And there's actually a long delay between when David is anointed as king and when he actually sees the fulfillment of the dreams later. Why? Because no dream is fulfilled instantly and your patience is required. Good morning. Who likes patience? It's a word. It's a goal. It's a scripture you read. It leaped off the page from there to here and then to now. And, and you feel like it's for you. You feel it's the right thing, and you walk out into your future, and delay hits. And the great theologian Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. you got to be old to know what I'm talking about. 1 Samuel 17, 12 to 15, it says this, Now David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons, his three older brothers enlisted in Saul's army, but David was held back, delayed, to care for the sheep in Bethlehem. First day he gets anointed. You will be the king. And his father says, get back to work. Nothing glamorous about that. Sometimes in the waiting between what God says and what God reveals, it doesn't feel like it. And you can even question God. Did, you, did I really hear the right thing, Lord? I put my life in your hands and now everything has gone to hell in a handbasket. So <clears throat> there was a day I came home from 
from Foursquare Church Camp, and I, I told my parents that I heard a whisper. I'm going to be a pastor someday. This, I, was, I was 16 years old. I'm going to be a pastor. My dad said, oh, no. I remember I was raised in Judaism. My dad had started going to church. My mom had started going to church, and they thought, here's what they said. You'll never make very much money doing that, right? World War II survivors, right? People that wanted their best for their kids. They'll never make much money doing that. By the way, they were right. You don't. You don't go to the ministry because you want to get rich. Just thought I'd tell you that. Unless you're six or seven pastors on TV that, you know, got Lear jets and everything else. Most of us just, we're grateful that we're, we're cared for, and it's a wonderful thing. And, and, and I was Mr. Business L.A. County in my senior year. We had a competition of thousands of young men and young women, and, and I won Mr. Business, and I went to the state finals. I was number two in the state of California my senior year. Mr. Business! We got prayed in a suit in front of all these CEOs and CFOs of big companies, and they interviewed us like a big oral interview, and, and I was a bookkeeper in high school, so we had to take uh, some books of a fictitious corporation and find out where the problems were in 90 minutes. The old 10-key calculator, come on. We couldn't speak to Siri. Siri, help me. I got these two numbers. It, 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 wasn't, it didn't exist. And so there we are. No MacBooks. I'm doing all this stuff. And I tell my parents, I want to go to Bible college. And they said, you're nuts. What do you want to go to Bible college for? Because I want to be a pastor. And I felt the delay of my parents, the pushback of my dad. But then I remember the night he came into my bedroom and said, son, if that's what you want to do, we'll pay for your first year and see what happens. We'll have a meeting after the first year. And um, I didn't do very well in school. I never had to show up my grades because I was now an adult. It was private between me and the school. Um, I didn't do that well because I worked 32 hours a week, took 18 units, played in a Christian band and taught Sunday school. And I never slept because sleep is highly overrated when you're 18, 19, 20. When you're 60, sleep is necessary. <laughs> hey, why did I tell you that long story is eventually my parents believed in me, and, but there was an initial delay that I went through. And some of my friends thought I was nuts. I was in a rock band. They wanted me to go travel with them. And, and you probably had those kind of stories where you feel like you're supposed to go right and everybody wants you to go left. Hey, no dream is fulfilled instantly and waiting periods can be painful periods. But I want to tell you something as your pastor and fellow sojourner. If God has put something in your heart, don't you dare give up on it. Don't you dare let it go. Don't you dare get rid of your dreams. It may not seem like God's plan when everything is coming against you, but don't you dare stop. Because sometimes God's plan is disguised and you don't see it fully. You go to point A to point B and all of a sudden God shows you C and then when you're at C you go, this is it. And then he says, no, no, it's EFG. That's where I really wanted you to go. The second thing is discouragement. People embracing fear. You'll face discouragement because everybody around you is scared to death. All of Israel is scared. Every time Goliath comes out, he changes the climate of fear in Israel. And I just want to say this. I am so sorry for anyone that's brought fear into your life about any situation or circumstance. We're, we're not going to pull things apart. But there are people living in fear in our own community, our own county. 
They're living in deep fear. Do you know I know some people that haven't even come out of their house in 17 months? Good morning. You came out of your house. Thank you for being here. But their people are still in their homes. And I, you know, your mask thing, whatever you want to do is, is, you know, God bless you. And to vaccine or not vaccine, that is the question. And, and I'm not here to tell you anything. I just know we followed best practices. And we submitted to our denomination, Foursquare, that said, follow the county. So we did. And I called the insurance company. Why would you call the insurance? Because I asked them if we're covered if we go against mandates. They said no. So if Mrs. Smith breaks her ankle on the front curb, you're on your own, Pastor. And if they sue the church and this becomes a condo, happy trails to you. So man, again, remember, raised Jewish. I'm very conservative when it comes to finances. I thought, what if we followed our denomination and submitted to them? And thank you for bearing with us and and being with us because I wanted to be careful and some people were feeling like, you're going to lose your dream, the dream of the church. No, you're here. We're open. People are still coming to Christ. Yay. <laughs> but there's so much fear out there. And you can create your own fear in yourself. You can have self-conversations where fear is everywhere. And you can look at the headlines and walk away fearful. And you could look at the greatest Facebook post from your finest friend. Because after all, everything on Facebook is absolutely 100% fact. So each day Goliath would stand and shout at the ranks, verse 8, of Israel's armies. Why do you come out here and line up to battle? Choose one man to fight me. Come on. If he's able to kill me, then we'll become your subjects. And if I kill him, you'll become our subjects. Day after day, day after day, Goliath taunted them, saying, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. And when Saul, that's the king, and the Israelites heard this, everyone was deeply what? Come on, shaken and paralyzed with fear. And here's my prayer, that fear will not grip your hearts, that we will rise above the fear and we will embrace the faith that God has given us and we will not be traumatized and we will not be hopeless because Jesus is our anchor and our hope. Goliath challenged the ranks of the Israeli army and sometimes the solution has to come outside the rank and file. Isn't it great? What you need is a little kid from the village. That's what I wrote down. We have a village. We have little kids. So, okay. Uh, it's not very good. Sorry, I'll take it back. What we need sometimes is a fresh set of eyes on our circumstance. And just because everyone says it will not happen, I want to tell you the crowd can often be wrong. So somebody had to challenge the status quo. In 1 Samuel 17, 16, for 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant loudly berated the Israelite army. You know, people are berating faith today, the Bible today, the value of the church today. And you know what I know? Jesus made a promise. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The Bible is still true. And all of God's promises come to pass. So who gets the last word? I know God does. Come on, that was good. Anybody ever look in your eyes and say, you're not going to make it? You can't do that. You think you're going to be the star baseball player or the star basketball player? You think you're going to get a scholarship? You think you're going to amount to everything? If we listen to all the negative people, you know what happens? You get negative. And negativity is highly contagious. I know. Just trust me. 
1 Samuel 17, 23, 24, as David talked with his brothers on the front line, he saw Goliath start shouting. See, here's what happens. Jesse sends Goliath, excuse me, sends David out to deliver food to his brothers. Remember, the three brothers are, are war fighters. And David's out there delivering food to them, and it's there that he hears the taunting of Goliath and something inside of him. The call of God on his life to become the king and to be this warrior starts to rise up within him. I wrote these words down in my journal from Pastor John McIntosh last week when he said, what is immediately before us tends to capture our attention. But in the dark and difficult times, the spirit of God moves and the voice of God speaks. And it was to David. John said this, where we see limitation, God sees opportunity. God sees what was, what is, and what will be all at the exact same moment. And the third thing I want you to see is disapproval. Your motives being questioned, and they will be. David had to be willing to face the disapproval of people around him in order to go after his dream. And in this case, David's own brother questions David's motive. 1 Samuel 17, 28, David asked, what's the reward for killing his, this Philistine and ending this disgraceful abuse? What's the reward? Well, when David's older brother heard this, he burned with anger at David and said, why are you even here anyway? And I love this, New Living Translation. Why aren't you taking care of your scrawny little flock of sheep, you cocky little brat? I know how conceited you are. Now, what have I done, said David? Can't even I ask a question? Family dynamics. Spiritual friends. <laughs> With friends like this, who needs enemies, right? Right? Now, what was the uh, reward for killing the giant? You, you may want to know. Well, first of all, you were provided wealth for the rest of your life. Second of all, you were allowed to marry the king's daughter. And third of all, you're going to love this one, no taxes. You were exempt from taxation. Wow, let's go kill some giants today. <laughs> David talked with his brothers. And David saw what was going on. And David heard the fear in the hearts of people. Family dynamics. And here was the question. Who do you think you are? Can, can I let you in on something? How many times people ask me that question? Who do you think you are when we built this building? Who do you think you are when we expanded this building? Who do you think you are when we put that building up over there or bought the parking lot over there? Who, 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 who do you think you are? And my response was always this, and you can use this line if it fits. It's not who do I think I am. It's who do I believe my God is. It's not who I think I am as we're serving our community or, or reaching out. Or, it's not who I think I am. It's who do you think my God is? And I know that my God is trustworthy and I won't know my God is faithful. And David understood the call of God that he had on his life. The size of your dream should be determined by the size of your God. And when I heard that little whisper at 16 years of age, that God called me to be a pastor, I got to tell you, 
Some of my friends in high school, they thought I was a nut. First of all, I had to tell them I heard a whisper. You did? Which ear did you hear it in? I said, it came from God. Whoa. Hey, Bernie heard God talk. And everybody was laughing at me. Hmm. Do people laugh at you ever? Some people are going to laugh at you because you said you went to church today. They wonder why you see any value in it. There's a lot of Americans now wrestling with, does church have any value at all? The fourth thing is doubt. Anybody here ever doubt? Come on. You doubt? The door gets slammed in your face. And you doubt. You apply for the position, you don't get it, and you doubt. The teacher told you you're going to get an A in the class. You looked at your report card, it's a B minus. You've never had a B before, and you doubt. You doubt your own abilities. We doubt tomorrow. And people question your trust in God and his ability. There are people all around who will tell you, you can't do it. How many parents have told their kids, you can't do that? You know what I love to do? I love to look in the eyes of a young person, get my hands down on my kneecaps and say, tell me about your dreams. What do you want to do? I don't know. They do it to the pastor just like the parent. I don't know. What do you want to be someday? I don't know. Hey, if you knew you couldn't fail and God would give you success, what would you do for God? And they start talking to me. I love it. I was with the police one night. We, I do ride-alongs as a chaplain, and we arrested a teenager for the fourth time. 14 years old, he's going over to juvenile hall. But before he went, I had a moment to talk with him. And I asked him what his dreams were. He said, I don't have any. I said, well, what's your dream? No, I don't, don't no. And then he said, I love to work on cars. I love hot rods. I thought to myself, it's 1.15 in the morning. Some of you know I like hot rods too. So I pulled out a phone and showed him a picture of my car. We became best friends. And we linked him up with a car shop in town where he started working on cars. And our church facilitated his trip to Ohio. It was a Christian hot rod camp for a week where he got to be with Christian men every morning and study the Bible and then build a hot rod in a week. A 32 Ford is pretty cool. He got to weld and fabricate. He got to paint fenders. He got a part of the Cabrillo Automotive class and went to Hancock. And last I heard, he's working in a shop down somewhere in Thousand Oaks, Simi Valley area. He's doing well, and he hasn't been arrested since that night. That's one of my, yeah, yeah, that's good. You can clap. Hey, it's not because, it's not because I, I had anything special. I just, tell me your dream. Listen, folks, we have the ability to impact our kids and our grandkids, our neighbors, to look in the eyes of a young person. Tell me your dream. Very few people are asking. We should know. And we don't know if their dream inside of them has been derailed by their family, by people around them, or by doubt that's in their hearts. 
There are people all around us who will tell us no. But when God says yes, let's go for it. Well, I'm too old. I don't have enough. We'll talk more about that next week. 1 Samuel 17, 32 and 33. Don't worry about a thing, David told the king. I'll fight this Philistine. Let me just stop right there. Confidence in God is often misinterpreted as cockiness by other people. A lot of people might think a person is arrogant when they're just a person of faith. It's not that they think that they can do it. It's that they know that the God they serve is greater than all situation and circumstance. It's confidence in God, not cockiness. And I want to challenge you to go be confident in God this week, to take him as word, to trust him. And David says, don't worry about a thing, king. I'll fight this Philistine. And what's the answer? Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. Again, Saul had been to war college. He knew all about fighting. He knew everything there was to know. There's no way you can go against this Philistine. You're only a punk kid. And he's a professional warrior all his life. But you remember when David stood in front of Goliath, he said, hey, you come at me with sword and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. I come at you for the sake of God. I come at you being filled with God's spirit. My dear friend, Max Lucado, we're, we're buddies. I've never met him, but I've read all his stuff. What a great writer he is. It's difficult to believe when you have to wait. We don't like to wait. Doors slammed in our face. We're the giddy-up generation. We frown at the person who takes 11 items to the 10-item or less checkout. We drum our fingers while the microwave heats our coffee or our tea. Come on, come on, come on, hurry up. We don't like to wait. But look around you. Do you realize where you're sitting? This planet is God's waiting room. The young couple waiting to get pregnant. The guy with his portfolio and resume waiting to get the job. Waiting on God to give help, waiting on God to come through. This is the land of waiting. And you and I are in God's waiting room. You may be infertile, you may be inactive, you may be in limbo, you may be between jobs, you may be in between diagnosis, prognosis from the doctor. You may be on search for a house. God bless you. You may be selling a house. God really bless you. You may be looking, I added that. You may be looking for a spouse, health, or help. But here's what you need to do. While you wait, God works. God never twiddles his thumbs. He never stops working. And just because you're idle and you don't see the answer today, don't assume God is done. And I would say to you as your brother, trust in him. Because in the right time, you're going to get through this. And God is going to be with you. Paul writes these words, and I make this a part of my prayer. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we've received from God. For as we suffer and suffer because of Christ, 
Christ gives us comfort and it overflows. If we're distressed, he will be with us. For our hope in Jesus Christ is firm because we know that as we share in sufferings and waiting and moments of patience, the Lord is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today who may feel like David. There's a call of God on their life. There's a cry to embrace the goal or the plan of God, and things are standing in their way. I I, I pray for those who are fighting Goliath right now. It just seems insurmountable. And yet, Lord, you're the God who gives us victory. It may not look like we're winning, but in the end, because of you, we win. And Lord, I pray for those who've yet to give their life over to you, Jesus, our Savior, our, our healer, the one who reaches out to us that simply if we believe in you and confess with our lips that you died on the cross and rose again from the dead, you, you allow us to be saved. What a gift. You didn't just save us and then leave us. You saved us and now you work through us. So I pray for your grace and your spirit to be with us today like never before. Bless my friends here and those watching online with your comfort. And Lord, some may wonder why they came today. (laughs) It's a holy setup. They could hear about a God who's with us. Just like you were with David, you are with us. No matter what we see, sense, or face, the God of the universe has plans, and no one can stop your plan. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.